everyone, I'm Pastor Matt Henderson, and today we'll be answering your relationship questions. You are watching Relationship Support. At Jill Taylor asks, what are some narcissistic red flags to look out for at the beginning of a relationship? Well, Jill, why don't you go watch the movie Zoolander, and if anything resonates at all, run. Cole Trickle says, is it a red flag my girlfriend has photos of Channing Tatum all over her bathroom? Cole, my question to you is, do you look like Channing Tatum? Because if not, then there's a red flag there, and you should probably run. Also, is she over the age of 13? At Carolina Reaper asks, my new girlfriend has a fear of Tide Pods. Is that a red flag? This is a red flag, but not for the reason that you may think it is. You see, it's likely that she has a fear of Tide Pods only to avoid doing the laundry. At Peter Quinn asks, should I be concerned my girlfriend has two phones? Well, Peter, in my experience, the only two people who ever have two phones are drug dealers and cheaters. If she has a burner phone and isn't dealing that devil's lettuce, then you've got a major problem in your relationship. Red flag. At Shake It Off 88 asks, this guy I like keeps asking what my zodiac sign is. Should I be concerned? At Shake It Off 88, this is a major red flag. What seems harmless in a zo asking a zodiac sign will likely turn into 12 years down the road drinking poison with 11 of his best friends to ascend yourself on a comet passing by Earth. That is a red flag. And this has been Relationship Support. Hello. My name is Olin. And I'm very excited to be here. I hope you can feel the excitement. I would encourage you to take some notes today because I might talk too fast. You know, because of all the excitement. I serve here on our teaching team and I really love teaching God's word. Okay, that's all I can do. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to see how long I can be super boring and see how they respond. No, the reason I did that is because we're talking about red flags Anybody learning anything about some red flags? Yeah. And what I'm going to talk to you today is about the red flag of self-awareness, the lack of self-awareness in our relationships. Now, if I would have continued to preach that way for 35 minutes, God help you all. <laughs> but then what if I would have turned around and picked up the phone after service, called Pastor Troy and said, I don't know what's wrong with these people at Central Campus. I mean, they are dead as a hammer. They're sleeping on me. Like, it was, it was terrible. Might I have been lacking in some self-awareness? And, you know, sometimes we contribute to the issues, the problems, the conflicts in our lives, but we tend to blame everyone else. So we're going to dig into it today. We're going to talk about it. First of all, my name, let me, let me restart this thing. Don't worry. Uh, my name's Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team, and we do have a team here at Freedom House. We do everything as a team, um, and that's a big part of our vision as a church, part of the vision of our senior pastors, Pastor Troy, Pastor Penny. Can we give them a hand clap? I want to honor them for that. And a big part of that is reaching our community, and we have people right now in, on our online campus joining us all around the country. Um, we have people in Oregon, Arizona, um, Florida, Ohio, Georgia, Vermont, Virginia, North Carolina, New Hampshire, New York, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Indiana. Will you guys give it up for them today? Amazing. We're so happy you're with us. You're a part of this family, and we just love you guys. And like I said, we're in this series right now, Red Flags. What are the red flags in our relationships, and why do we ignore them? If you're taking some notes today, the title of my message is, There is Something in Your Eye. There is something in your 
Uh, you know, lacking self-awareness can cause tremendous problems in our relationships. All of our relationships, especially the closest ones, create opportunities for conflict and disagreement. Have you ever noticed that it is the closest relationships in our lives that have the most potential for pain? If you're walking down the street and you bump into somebody you don't know, you never met this person before, and they say, I don't like your shoes, how do you respond? Whatever, man. Like, I don't like your shoes either, right? I mean, like, keep it moving. I don't know you, right? And it doesn't really bother you that much. It might annoy you for a moment, but you brush it off because you're like, I don't know them. They don't know me. I don't care about their opinion, right? But if you live your life, maybe you're 30 years old right now, and you feel like your own mother doesn't approve of you, you will carry that for 50 years Man, things like that can be so damaging. Why? Because it's the people that are closest to us that have the most potential to hurt us because their opinion is weighty in our lives. Now, what did Jesus teach us about self-awareness in our relationships? What did Jesus teach us about this topic? I think we've, we've read this scripture before. We've talked about this before. Maybe not under this term or maybe we didn't understand how this could apply in the area of self-awareness. So let's read this together. Turn with me in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Very familiar passage. We're going to dig into it today. I think it's one of the most misused passages probably in the whole Bible. But Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, it says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there is a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite! Jesus is tough, right? I mean, he just calls it out. He says, hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Red flag number one is when I can't see the beam. When I can't see the beam. See, most people would read this passage and they would they would kind of circle in on this fact that there's this big two-by-four sticking out of my eye and that that's a problem, but that is not the problem that Jesus is addressing. Jesus is not saying the problem is is you've got too many two-by-fours in your eye. You've got too many sins, too many bad habits, too many relational problems. You're trying to straighten your brother out, man, but you're just all messed up. No, that's not the problem. Jesus is saying the problem is you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your eye And you can't see it. You're blind to your own mess, to your own sin. The issue isn't the beam. The issue is my inability, or more often or not, my unwillingness to see the beam. I remember one time years ago, I was a little kid. It's probably 12, 13 something. I was with my best friend in Tampa, Florida. We went to this place called Bush Gardens. You may have heard of Bush Gardens before. It's kind of a theme park mixed with a zoo. So it's like you ride a roller coaster and you see a lion. I mean, it's kind of cool. And so, we're, you know, we're there having a good time. But I'm not having fun because I got really sick. I don't remember if I got a stomach bug or something. But, I mean, I was just, it was bad. And it's hot. It's in the summer. You know, so I'm sweating. I'm hot. I'm sick. I don't want to be there anymore. And I remember I'm walking. And my buddy, he, you know, he's just, you know, just going along happy as he can be. And he's like, all right, let's go ride this ride. And I'm just like walking with my head down. I don't want to do anything. Oh, leave me alone. I don't want to ride anything. And have you ever been in your home at night and you're walking at just a normal pace? Like you're going to the refrigerator to get something and you're just kind of walking and you hit something. You stub your toe. You, you, you rake your side against a table or something. Isn't it the worst thing in the world? I mean, it's like you're just barely moving. Like you're not running. You're just walking and you hit your toe and you're like... Ah! I mean, you're like calling 911, like I need medical attention, right? How do we have so much momentum when we're just walking? But I'm just walking along, head down, and I didn't see the beam. 
There is a metal pole right in front of me, and I'm telling you, I full-on Wiley, Wiley coyote that thing. It was like a cartoon. I hit it so hard, and it was like, bing! And I mean, like, both arms go around the pole. Face first, I hit that thing. I mean, it sounded, bing! I mean, you could hear it. I know everybody had to be laughing at me. About knocked me unconscious. I remember I just fell straight back, hit the ground. My buddy's like, you okay? I mean, knock me silly. Why? Because I didn't see the beam. And the inability to see the beam sticking out of my eye, talking about our relationships, talking about the stuff we're bringing into the relationship, to the problem, to the argument, to the conflict, while I'm being hypercritical of someone else, listen, this is a prideful lack of self-awareness. I'm not being self-aware about what I'm bringing to it, my own humanity, my own sinfulness. Being self-aware is not navel-gazing. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's not self-obsession. It's not me, me, me all the time. I'm just always focused on myself. It is a mixture of humility and confidence. If, if you don't get anything else out of this today, I want you to walk out of here with this new concept of self-awareness and the importance of what Jesus is teaching here, humility and confidence. You see, God wants us to be self-aware, not self-conscious. doesn't want us focused on myself, but he does want us to have humility and confidence. Humility comes from remembering who I was without Christ. To know, hey, I'm not here to fix everybody else or be the hyper judge, just critical person on everybody else because I got to remember who I was how messed up I was before Jesus, and listen, who I can still be without him today. If I choose to walk in my flesh, not in my spirit, listen, I can still be a jerk. You take the Jesus out of me, it's going to cause some humility if I see that guy, right? But confidence comes because I know who I am in Christ. So humility comes when I remember who I was without Christ. Confidence comes because I know who I am in Christ. Now, I've been working with my counselor on this, super, super wise man. And he told me this the other day. We were talking about some stuff, and he said, Olin, I believe the definition of humility is the honest assessment of your strengths and weaknesses and the acceptance of both. I was like, man, that's good. And he's like, not Webster's, but he said, you know, he, the guy's like 70, I think 71 years old. He's got like 80 counselors under his authority, he counsels pastors. I mean, just, you know, other therapists. I mean, like people come to this guy because he's got so much wisdom. And he said, this is what I have learned over all my years. That humility is the honest assessment of my strengths, my weaknesses, and the acceptance of both. And then he asked me a question. He said, he said how would you define confidence? And I said, well... As a Christian, I mean, I know it's being confident who you are, you know, what your abilities, what you can do. I said, but as a Christian, I would say that confidence is kind of a, a confidence or a belief in who I am in Christ, like who he's made me to be, my, you know, my identity in Christ. And he said, that's it, that's very good. He said, but let me tell you my definition of confidence. And I said, okay. And he said, confidence is the honest assessment of your strengths and weaknesses and the acceptance of both. I went, wait a minute. So, humility and confidence are the same? And he said they're actually two sides of the same coin. See, when you have them both, it means you can give and receive feedback well because you know who God has made you to be, and you don't have to defend your weaknesses or deny your strengths. What it means in your relationships when applied is it means you can celebrate the strengths of others and offer grace for their weaknesses. Because I know who I am, but I also know who I could be. Humility and confidence. In each one of these sections today, I'm going to give you some practical things. I'm going to encourage you to write them down and get into it this week, maybe even this afternoon. Some steps that will make your marriage better. Make your relationship with your adult kids better. Make your relationships with your friends, your coworkers better. So how do I know I'm healthy in this area? Two great indicators of health. Number one is the ability to listen to others, especially when I disagree with them, without interrupting. Can you listen to someone else talk when you disagree with them 
without interrupting, without cutting them off. Now, I'm going to be vulnerable. I stink at this. I am very bad. When I disagree or there's an argument or a conflict, I am a chronic interrupter. But it's funny because when I'm in a pastoral mode or I'm, I'm counseling someone, praying with someone, I'm not like that. I, I can listen and I'm really in touch. And I've had so many people, you know, they're pouring their heart out and then they tell me at the end of the thing, man, you are a great listener. And I'm like, man, would you tell my wife that? Like, could I get you to video that and send that to Tammy? Like, that would be amazing. Like, just send me an email so I've got evidence. Look, babe, I'm a great listener. Take note this week on how many times you interrupt others, especially when you disagree with them. Listen, that's a red flag. That's a, that's a sign that I don't have the confidence or humility of Christ in my heart when I can't let you finish. When I have to cut you off. Why? Because maybe I'm afraid of what you're about to say. You know why God is so patient and so kind? Because God has zero insecurities. That's why David could, or God could allow David in the Psalms to write these Psalms where he's just lamenting and he's like, oh God, you've abandoned me and God, you're not coming through and God, you're, because you know what? God in no point was up in heaven going, oh man, I might not be a good God. Like, hey angels, I, am I doing okay? I might need to abdicate the throne. Like maybe there's a better God. Like, God never has that thought. We can sit there and pour our hearts out to God. He never gets insecure. He never gets afraid. You know what God does? He rubs our back and he says, let it out. Let It's okay. Let it out. Let it out. Let it out. Why? Because God is secure in who he is. When you're confident in who you are, you don't have to interrupt other people. Because you know nothing you say is going to change who God made me to be. When I have the confidence in who I am, then I can also step into the humility of Christ and I can let you talk and be humble enough to know I might also learn something. Confidence in humility. The other one, and this is a big one, is the ability to receive a compliment. How many of us can receive a compliment well? Somebody says, man, you did a great job with that. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I just got lucky. It, it, uh, you know, so-and-so helped me. It's like you have to defend it. Oh, man, you look great. I love your outfit. No, this whole thing. Oh, no, no. I don't look great. You look great. I mean, look at you. I mean, you look amazing. Like, how many of us cannot receive a compliment? Red flag. There's a lacking of humility or confidence in my heart when I can't receive a compliment. Take note this week on how well you can receive a compliment. Do you deflect? Do you deny? Do you downplay the comp compliment? If you do, red flag. Well, I feel awkward. Somebody's saying something nice about me. I don't know what to say. Let me help you. Say thank you. <laughs> say thank you. My old pastor taught me years ago when someone blesses me with money, you know what I always say? Thank you. You heard from the Lord. That's what you say. Thank you. You heard from the Lord. I did that one time. This pastor, me and Pastor Troy were somewhere, and we were helping this church and this guy. He, and it was totally unexpected. And he blessed me with some money for being there and helping. And Pastor Troy's like, and I told the guy, I looked at him, I said, thank you. You heard from the Lord. And Pastor Troy told me, hey, that was really nice. And what did you say to him? <laughs> I said, thank you. You heard from the Lord. You blessed me. You're sowing into good ground. Can I get an Amen you got to be able to receive it. And you know why so many times we can't receive it? We can't receive a blessing. We can't receive a compliment because we don't give them. If you give compliments, if you give encouragement, if you sow into other people's lives, then when God turns around and does it for you, you're like, thanks, Dad. Like, this is the life I'm supposed to be living. I'm supposed to be blessed. And when someone tries to encourage you, they tell you you look amazing, man, you're so brilliant, man, great job with that. If you really want to take it to another level, say thank you and then Talk about what their compliment means to you. Thank you so much. You know, I've had a hard week. I needed to hear that. Man, you know what? Thank you. I respect you, and that means a lot coming from you. That really lifts my spirits. You know what happens when you do that? That person goes away. Instead of feeling annoyed because you're swatting their confidence or their compliments away, they leave feeling like, 
man, maybe I did hear from God. Maybe the Lord wanted me to encourage him or her today. Isn't that a better way? Red flag number two. Red flag number two is when I develop a critical spirit. When I develop a critical spirit. Guys, this is so deadly. It's deadly in marriages. Deadly. We all face this temptation to develop a critical spirit. And it can happen sometimes that we don't even know it. We just think we're holding someone accountable, we're having good conversations, whatever it is. But really, we've become hypercritical. Notice, I love Jesus' teaching on this, that Jesus does not say, don't judge because it's wrong. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say don't judge because you might hurt someone's feelings. He doesn't say don't judge because God is forgiving towards you. He doesn't say that. Now, all those things are true, but Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount is so practical because he wants you and I to have healthy, just blessed, awesome, amazing relationships. And so his, his teaching, it's not, it's not this theological teaching. No, it's practical teaching. He says, don't judge so it doesn't boomerang back in your face. He says, don't judge because it doesn't work. Don't judge because it will only cause people to retaliate and judge you. His teaching is practical. But we get out of balance on this because nobody ever stops to actually ask, what does Jesus mean when he says judge? What does that word mean? You got kind of two camps on this. You got one side of the Christian world or even the non-Christian world that wants to weaponize it against us and basically use it to tell Christians to shut up. If we have an opinion, we're going to vote this way or we're voicing an opinion about society or sinful things, whatever it is, I don't, I don't think that's right. You shut up. You shouldn't be saying that. You're a Christian. Jesus said, don't judge. Like we can't have an opinion about anything as a Christian. That's not what that means. But then the other side of it, and this is kind of the side I've been a little guilty of this, is we'll say, well, Jesus doesn't mean don't judge because there's other scriptures that kind of say you do in certain situations have to judge. But then we never explain what it actually means. So let's take a look at the Greek word. It's the Greek word krino. Everybody say krino. You speak Greek now. Don't you feel proud of yourself? Go to lunch today. Say, I speak Koine Greek. Yeah, smart people. I'm going to read you six definitions. You ever look up a word in the dictionary and there's multiple definitions for the word? You ever done that? Like this word can mean this, this. How do you know what the word means in a given situation? Context. You know based on the context. How is the word used in that specific situation? Now, this word, krino, actually has six definitions. I'm going to go through them quickly. Let's see if we can figure out which one Jesus is talking about. The first one is to make a selection, select, prefer. Personal preference. I like vanilla ice cream. Is that wrong? To have a preference. That's not wrong. You don't have to have a PhD from Cambridge to know. That ain't wrong, right? We all have preferences. The next one is to make a judgment based on various factors in taking various factors into account to consider, to weigh out the options. Is that wrong? It's not wrong to think about things. To, no. Nothing wrong with that. Let's go to the next one. To come to a conclusion after a cognitive process, to reach a decision. Is it wrong to make decisions in our lives? No, not wrong. If you couldn't make a decision, you couldn't have got to church today. What shoes do I wear? You got to make a decision, right? So he's not talking about making a, a decision. The next one is to engage in a judicial process, actually talking about a judge, jury, court of law. Are any of us judges in here? Do I have any judges? No. Is Jesus talking about that? No, doesn't apply to us. I'm not a judge. You're not a district attorney. That's, that's how that word can be used. That's not what he's talking about. Fifth one, to ensure justice for someone else. Is it wrong to ensure justice for someone else? No, and that don't even fit with what he's saying. All right, let me read you the last one. To pass judgment upon, seek to influence the lives of and actions of other people. That is... Pass an unfavorable judgment upon, criticize, find fault with, or condemn. And who thinks that's the one Jesus is talking about? Pretty easy to understand, right? You don't need like a, a, a literary degree from Oxford to know. Like, yeah, that's clearly what Jesus is talking about. It's to be hypercritical. It's to be a fault finder. 
Are you always looking for the faults in everyone else? Are you always hypercritical of everyone else? That is what Jesus is talking about. John Stott, who wrote extensively on the Sermon of the Mount, he says, don't judge does not mean don't think. It's not what he means. Don't judge does not mean don't think. It is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus is talking about our spirit, our heart, the way we bring up hard conversations. Our heart, are you hypercritical? Are you judgmental? Are you harsh and condemning to other people? Jesus doesn't want us to have a critical spirit. Why? Because it will ruin our relationships. It will ruin your marriage. It will ruin your relationships with your children. It will ruin your friendships. Nobody wants to be around somebody that's hypercritical all the time. Nobody. But if I don't tell them, how are they ever going to change? Well, I don't have many people in my life that have had heart-level, true behavior, character changes because I verbally beat the living daylights out of them every single day. You shouldn't do that. That's wrong. I don't know why you think that way. This is it. What do you want to do when you hear that? You want to run away. You want to leave or punch them in the face, one of the two. But you certainly don't want to change. You want to fight. It brings up people's defenses. The evangelist Bill Glass, he did a lot of work in prison ministry, really good evangelist. And he asked a group one time of 1,000 prison inmates, how many of you had parents who told you you would end up in prison one day? He said almost every hand went up. Because often, when we're operating out of a critical spirit, our words meant to bring good and change actually become self-fulfilling prophecies. We're actually just taking a, a, an ugly anchor and dropping it right inside somebody's soul. And then they can't escape it or they carry that baggage around. Many of us in here today, we want a better marriage. Listen, listen. You won't get it. You won't get it by having a critical spirit. It won't happen. Many of us have adult children. Maybe they have some, some, some self-sabotaging habits right now or they're in a bad relationship or whatever it may be. You want them to change. You want the best for them. Listen, it won't happen by being super critical. It's not going to happen. Some of us just want to be treated fairly at work. You won't get it by being super critical, having a critical spirit. How do I know if I'm developing a critical spirit? How do I build this muscle of self-awareness, confidence, and humility? A few questions you can ask. Number one, am I projecting to hide my own shame? Red flag. Many times the very thing I'm struggling with, I project onto others. Why? Because if I get everybody to focus on them, then nobody's going to look at me. And so sometimes we've got sin or we've got issues in our own life. Maybe we're struggling financially, so we pick on everybody else's finances. Oh, look at that new car. I bet they're in debt. Because I'm in debt. And I don't want you asking about my debt or how I manage my money, so I'm going to poke and or point at everyone else. I'm going to be a fault finder so nobody can find the fault in me? Do I have selfish motives? Red flag. And don't take for granted because you're a Christian or because you're a great person, and you guys are. I know all, like you are the best people in the world. Central Campus, like 13.2% better fruit of the Spirit than South End. And like 17.4% better than Lake Norman. Science, people. Trust the science. So... <laughs> You're amazing people, right? But just because we're good people, just because we love our family, we love our spouse, we love our kids, we, you know, we want our friends to do better, just be, we can't take for granted that our motives are pure. I had a good friend once. He was actually my best friend at the time. We were doing missions work, minist um, uh, youth ministry together, and he got in uh, some serious, serious trouble. I was at the youth facility that day, and I was putting out tables. We were having an event or something. I was putting tables, chairs out. And I remember this sudden exhilaration, this joy that came over me when I thought about how much trouble he was in. 
And then it hit me, and I, like, dropped the table. And I almost, like, it was like, oh, it was just so disgusting, this feeling, this motive in my heart. And the Holy Spirit showed it to me. I, in my head, I, and I wouldn't even say the words, but it was in my heart. It was in my mind, in the back of my mind. If he goes down, I'll go up. If everyone sees, if he falls, then I'll get more attention and more. And man, let me tell you, oh, it was the worst. And I'm like, this is my best friend in the world. And I'm happy that he's in trouble. That's that sin that's inside of us. And I dropped that table and I'll never forget. I just begin to pray, God, may I never exceed him in life. God bless him. Give him my blessings, God. May I be his servant until the day I die. God, and I just begin to pray blessings on him because I'm like, I don't want any part of that hypercritical, judgmental, selfish spirit inside of me. Because you can't serve God with that and you can't help anyone else. And so we've got to look at our motives. The last one is, am I using a legalistic standard? That's a red flag. The best thing to do whenever you're having disagreements with people is don't argue about the standard you're going to hold them to. Get mutual agreement on the standard beforehand. So if you're in a marriage situation and you have a spouse, and I've counseled many married couples, that these issues happen. One spouse is working late. I don't know where you are. You're not texting me. It makes me suspicious. It makes me fearful. Listen, fair conversation to have. But instead of trying to hold them accountable to your rules... Talk to them and mutually agree upon standards together. Hey, this is how I feel. What can you do to help me? Well, what if I text you when I'm getting off? Or what if I do this and let you know where I'm at? That would help me. Okay, great. Let's agree together because then you can have, have healthy accountability. Take note this week if you're having relational issues with someone. Ask these questions, these three questions and see if you are operating in a critical spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, God, am I operating? Have I slipped into a critical spirit? All right, third, final red flag is when I starts with you. When I starts with you. Jesus teaches us here that when we seek to challenge or correct, even for a good reason... We should always, always, always start with ourselves first. Why? Because I need to acknowledge, every one of us, I need to acknowledge I am not a perfect or an impartial judge. I am not a perfect or impartial judge. There's only one who can judge perfectly with no bias other than love and that's the Lord. And so I've got to look at my heart. I've got to examine this, and I've got to start with me. When you're upset with someone, I get it. The first instinct is to blame, to attack, to try to solve the problem. Well, they're the problem. I don't need to start with me. They're the one doing it. You might be right. They might be the one causing the issue. But the Bible says, Jesus says, start with yourself. Start with your heart first. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's straightening out some issues in the church in Corinth. And he's got some people attacking him, slandering him. He's talking about his own faithfulness as an apostle. And he says, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. Listen to this. I don't even trust my own judgment at this point. Isn't that good? That's the Apostle Paul. And he says, I'm not even basing this on my judgment. I don't even trust myself to judge myself. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. He said, I don't even judge myself because I'm not the determining factor. I'm not the perfect judge. He is. He's going to decide who's right and who's wrong, what's right and wrong in every situation. God sees all, knows all. So how do we apply this in our everyday life in these situations? Number one, if I don't know everything about the situation, so I'm coming at somebody, there's a problem, there's a hard conversation I need to have, I've got to start by saying, I don't know everything about the situation. And when I think I do, red flag. Red flag. 
And man, this one is so rampant, especially with Christians. I hate to say it, but I mean, we're bad about this one, guys. Because we get upset and immediately, oh, I know, I know what they did. I know what they said. Well, hold on, were you there? Well, no, I wasn't, I don't need to be there. I know what happened. I know why they did it. I know what they said. Oh, well, excuse me, Holy Spirit. I didn't know that you were the all-seeing, all-knowing one. Forgive me. I won't give you any advice because obviously you're the Lord himself. I mean, you know, let me back up here. I don't know the other person's heart or motives. In fact, I don't always know my own. And when I think I do, red flag. Oh, I know my heart. You sure? Oh, I just want to help. I'm trying to fix this. I'm trying to work this out. They're the one in sin. They're the one messing up. They're the one bringing all this stuff into our home. I'm, I'm just trying to, to fix this and do what God wants us to do. I've read, this is what the scripture says. Oh, well, you seem really calm and at peace right now. I mean, that feels like the Holy Spirit, the way you're responding. Because sometimes we don't even know our own heart, our own motives. We can slip into that selfishness really, really fast. I can't approach the situation impartially. I'd encourage you, write these down and literally walk through them when you have to have a hard conversation. I can't approach the situation impartially. Why? I'm involved and I have an opinion. I'm involved. It's my job. It's my kids. It's my friend. It's my spouse. It's my whatever. It's my aunt. It's, it's, I got skin in the game. I have an opinion. I have an agenda. And as soon as you think you don't, red flag, red flag. So what do we do? We submit it to the Holy Spirit. We go to the Holy Spirit. And there's so many times when I'm counseling other people about an issue, they come to me, well, I'm having this dispute with this person and I don't know what to do and they're being a jerk and I'm da-da-da-da-da. And I've said this and I say, oh, that's great. Have you prayed about it? No. Maybe we want to start there. And I do it all the time. I get so mad when people do that to me because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be spiritual. And I'm all angry, and I'm like, I'm going to. And this way, have you prayed about it? I'm like, no. I was going to tomorrow after I had the conversation. Because most of the time we're praying for God to fix the mess we created. Because we won't stop to get him involved before we go to war. Saw this study the other day. Came out of the University of Arizona. They did a study recently on kitchen germs. And this one blew me away. They said, if you've got a clean kitchen versus a dirty kitchen, did you know that there is almost zero difference in the amount of germs and bacteria between a dirty kitchen and a clean kitchen? I know. I'm like, what's the point in cleaning the kitchen then? <laughs> Why have I been doing, working so hard, you know? We like, me and my wife, we like a clean kitchen, so we're always, you know, getting the dishes and putting stuff, and it's like, what's the point, Right? Clean kitchen, dirty kitchen, almost the same amount of germs. You know why? Because over 90% of the germs and bacteria found in a kitchen are found in the sponge or the dish rag you're using to clean everything. And how many of us as Christians have been a spiritual sponge in our relationships? We're coming to wipe up the mess when really all we're doing is smearing our own flesh and sinful attitudes in our agenda all over the problem. Oh, I, look, I straightened them out. I took the sponge of the Holy Spirit. Look how spiritual I am. Oh, I, I got them, man. And, and I talked to them, and then the phone goes off, and it's like, oh, no. And the relationship takes a wrong turn. It, didn't, it doesn't work out the way you think. Why? Because we sometimes make the situation worse. We lack humility. We lack confidence. We don't let them finish. We cut them off. Because I'm not secure in who I am, and I'm fearful of what they might say or do. See how it all wraps together? And then we wonder why our relationships can't move forward. When I don't start with myself first, I bring more fleshly contamination to the conflict or problem. Even if I'm right. Even if I'm 100% right in the argument, I'm still bringing flesh, not spirit. I've got to start with myself first. Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, don't go get the speck out of their eye. He said, get the beam out of your eye first. 
Get the anger, get the rage, get the, the shame, get the discontentment, get the whatever it is out of your eye first. Because then you're going to see clearly to help them with the speck in their eye. Humility reminds me who I was before Christ and who I can still be without him. But listen, we never lose his presence as Christians. The Holy Spirit lives inside me, but I can choose to yield to the Spirit or to my flesh. So this is how we get the Holy Spirit involved in our relationships. We start with ourselves. I has to start with I, not you. Self-awareness means knowing I need some help with this beam in my eye before I go, any, go near anyone else's eye. Before I try to fix you, fix my kid, I've got to get the beam out of my eye first. Now, when I was thinking about this, it made me think of a story from years ago. It kind of gives me nightmares. But I had this old business partner years ago, and he had a tree next to his house. You talk about a beam. I mean, this was an entire tree, and it was leaning over his house. And he was really worried about it. He kept talking about it for months. Man, this thing's going to fall. It's going to land on my roof. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt my house. And he said, I'm going to hire, you know, I need a good, you know, company that can come out and remove this tree, tree removal company. And I said, nah, you don't need a professional company. It's one tree. I got you. Listen, I've got a chainsaw. We're two grown men. I've watched people cut trees down on TV. I mean, how hard can it be? I got you. So I get my chainsaw. We go out. We, I cut the tree. He's scared to death. He's like, man, just please don't let this thing land on my house. I cut the tree. I think I do it the right way. But the tree's not moving. So I get this brilliant idea. I take a rope and I tie it around the tree that we've cut that's not falling because the branches had gotten stuck in another tree. I wrap the, the rope around that tree and I tie it very tightly to another strong tree back in the woods a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, hey, how are we going to twist this? How are we going to pull it together? I thought, oh, I got a log and I put it in between the ropes and I began to crank it, to turn it around. So it was just like, like a corkscrew. It was just turning and it was working. And the the tree, you can hear it creaking like, you know, it's like pulling the limbs. It's, it's coming this way. We're like, it's working, it's working. We get it. I mean, it's almost ready to fall. And all of a sudden, I was like, one more turn. And it was getting really tight. And I go to turn it. And it sounded like a gun went off by my head. Bam! And the rope exploded. And somehow, through all the trees and all the woods and everything around this rope, works its way at the speed of light through the woods, comes back like a bullwhip, whap, and goes right across the flat of my back. <laughs> and my Gary comes running, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, give me a minute. <laughs> we took my shirt off, and I mean, it was welted up that high. I mean, there was this red line across my back. And let me tell you something. The moral of that story don't ever attempt spiritual tree removal by yourself. We have a professional in heaven. Did you know that Jesus runs the best beam removal service in the history of the universe? So instead of trying to get the beam out ourselves, we need to go to the professional, ask for some help, and involve the Holy Spirit in the situation. Can you imagine Church, can you imagine if Christians had vibrant, healthy relationships? What if the divorce rate across America in churches plummeted? What if? Well, that'll never happen. Well, we didn't think Roe v. Wade would ever be overturned either. I mean, there's a lot of things people have said that'll never happen until somebody does something by faith. What if Christians had the healthiest relationships around? What if the people out there in the world looked at us and said, man, look at how they love each other. Look at how they care for each other. Now, I didn't say easy or perfect relationships. That's not even the goal. But we could have amazing relationships if we start with ourselves first. If I stop doing this, if I stop blaming everyone else, we're going to talk, we're going to have accountability, but I'm going to start inside. I'm going to pray first. Before I try to straighten you out, I'm going to make sure I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm going to start with me. If I have the self-awareness, the confidence, the humility to recognize when we're getting over into a critical spirit, when we ask consistently 
for the Holy Spirit's help every single day before every hard conversation. You're going in to talk to somebody at work. You're, you're going to talk to your kids. Doesn't matter what it is. Stop. All right. Holy Spirit, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to make this worse. I don't want to be the sponge. I need your presence. Should I speak? Should I not? What should I say? Sometimes the greatest thing you can do and the Holy Spirit will lead you is to shut up and to pray for God to send laborers because sometimes the people closest to us, we're the one person they can't hear. Especially married couples, right? I mean, me and my wife, I mean, she can say it. She gets so mad at me because somebody will say something to me and I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm going to do that. And she's like, are you joking? Like, I have said that to you 15 times in the last month. And I'm like, no, you haven't. And she's like, I got video evidence, man. You seen the, new, the, the commercial where they throw their flag, you know? It's like she's recording it, you know? It's like women remember. But that's how we are. Sometimes you can't receive from each other. You can pray, and God can speak the word they need to hear through somebody else. I'm going to end with this passage today, beautiful scripture in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I believe that we can change this nation. I believe that as a church, we can make a difference in our communities, in this city. But I also believe it starts with us. I think if we go out there into the communities, into, the, into the, the, the public arena, and we try to point out everybody else's faults without starting with ourselves, Calling out the pornography, the sin, the sexual issues, immorality, we see every day. It's terrible, I know. But all the world does is point back to us and say, well, you're getting divorced. Christians are, your relationships are all messed up. They just turn it right back around. Why? Because we haven't started with ourselves. I don't say that for any of us in here to feel condemned. Every one of us in here have had broken relationships. But I want us to imagine together how it could be better. Don't go back. God's not here to condemn you today. Like Pastor Stephanie was saying earlier, so, so eloquently, the holiness of God. God doesn't bring us here to point the finger to condemn. No, he brought you here today so you could hear that there's hope that he wants to help you, that you can have a happy, fulfilled marriage. You can reconnect with those kids that you lost touch with. You can have vibrant friendships. You can come to church and have vulnerability, accountability, really have deep relationships. It can happen if we bring the Holy Spirit into the situation. I don't know about you, but I want to see that. I think that's where revival starts. I believe it starts with me starts with you. Let's invite him today to, to start with us. That even this afternoon, our relationships will get a little bit better. Amen? Will you stand on your feet with me today? I'm going to ask you for just a moment to bow your head and to close your eyes. And I know there's people here. You're hurting in your relationships. Some of you, maybe you're here looking for just a major change in your life. We're in a series called Red Flags. It's about relationships. You know, the most important relationship of all is our relationship with God. Some of us have some red flags there. What are those red flags in our spiritual life? What do they look like? I think number one, they look like a life motivated by fear. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to not matter. I want people to like me. I need to save for retirement. I don't want to be destitute. I don't want to be like my mom and dad. I don't want that in my life. I'm, I'm afraid. That's not the Christian life. That's a red flag. The other red flag, I would say, is a life that's being spent 
in unrighteousness, living that you know in your heart, I'm not doing the right things. I'm wasting my life. I'm I'm spending my time, my money on sinful things, selfish things. That's not the life of the believer. And so the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, this is verse 17, it says, In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So that when he comes, we can have confidence. Because as he is, so are we in this world. It says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. The Christian life is not a life of obeying the rules because I'm afraid of God's judgment. The Christian life is a life motivated by love. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's his love that motivates us to come every Sunday to worship God, to allow him to bring changes in our life. It's not fear of punishment because Jesus took my punishment on the cross. And so being a Christian today means acknowledging that Jesus came, he paid for my sin. He loved me before I ever thought about him. And when you receive that love, you'll be able to live a life without the fear, without the unrighteousness, without the self-sabotaging habits. Without You can get past that and you can live a life motivated by love. If that's you today and you say, man, that sounds good. Sign me up. I want to have a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, I want to encourage you right now. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. This is a moment with just you and God. It's the most important decision that you can ever make. If that's you right now and you want to change in your life, would you just lift your hand up right now? We want to say a simple prayer of faith with you. Amen. 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 I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Thank you so much for being bold. Thank you for stepping out in faith. And those that are with us online, you can join in as well. There's a a button right there in the chat. You can click to raise your hand. And we have people who love you that will pray with you and connect with you. Church, let's pray this together. Those that raise their hands, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer, but we're all going to pray. Because when you get Jesus, you don't just get Jesus, you get a family. And we're with you. We're proud of you. And we're going to pray this together today. Everybody just say this out loud. Say, Father God, I believe. I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross, that he rose again to forgive me of my sins. I receive it today by faith. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change my relationships. Help me to start with me to be led by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.